Amen. If you have a copy of God's Word, would you open it to Philippians? Philippians chapter 2, we're continuing this series called The All-Surpassing Joy of Jesus. And so it's my joy for us today to, uh, to be bringing God's Word. My name is Jody Sledge. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Fellowship, and I'm excited for what God has for us. You know, we, we come to a part of this letter, and it might feel like Paul is just kind of doing some housekeeping. He's talking about his friends and this relationship that they have with the Philippian church. But I think God has a great word for us today about gospel partnerships, what it looks like for us as individuals and as a church to be committed to striving side by side for the sake of the gospel with one another, with other churches in our city, other churches around the world. So we'll be looking at Philippians 2, verses 19 through 30. So this is the word of God. It says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I will see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. That's the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for this letter that was written by Paul so many years ago while he's in prison in Rome. We're thankful that you inspired him to write even these words that may seem like not much to us here in 2021. But God, this is your ever living, ever active, sharper than a two edged sword word. And so, God, may it pierce us. May it bless us. God, may you speak to us. God, would you fill me with your spirit so that I can speak for you, Lord, so that we may see Jesus and we may serve him. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I had some friends one time that wanted me to be business partners with them. They invited me to come to a training with them at a hotel in town. And it was about how to start up an internet business. And I realized pretty quickly that I was right in the middle of a pyramid scheme. I don't know if you know what a pyramid scheme is. Uh, it's where people exploit their friends and everybody that they know to start businesses under them so that they can make more money in the end. So this meeting was crazy. 
So the guy who's speaking is literally running up and down the aisle and shouting as people are clapping and cheering and pumping fists all the whole meeting long. They had these chants that they would say together over and over. They shared story after story of people who would make thousands of dollars in one month because of all of these internet businesses. You see, you made lots of money when everybody under you made lots of money. And so that's why my friends were there trying to get me to start an internet business. All the people at the bottom starting online businesses make a lot of money for the people up at the top. You know, I wonder if the kingdom of God sometimes feels to us like a pyramid scheme. Maybe it seems like the church only cares about what you can do for the church, what you can give, how you can serve. Maybe at times it seems like God is only concerned with what we can bring to the table. All of us here at the bottom have to do all of this work so the guy at the top gets all the benefits. Well, we've come to God's Word today, and it's a passage about serving. It's a passage about being committed to the work of the gospel. And it can seem like we're just being used. But friends, nothing is further from the truth today. You see, the good news that we're celebrating today, that we just sang about, is that the guy at the top came down to us. He left heaven and became like us. He set aside his own interests and he took up a cross to save us. And today he's calling us to join in that work. Today Jesus is calling us to gospel partnerships. He's calling us to selflessly care for other people. He's calling us to sacrificially serve for others. And he's calling us today to find joy in doing for others what he has already done for us. Today, God is calling us to find joy in gospel partnerships. So that's my prayer. My prayer is that we would find much joy in partnering with Jesus for the sake of the gospel. Now, you might be thinking, well, what does that look like? Well, Paul gives us in our passage today two men that are great examples of gospel partners. And so I want us just to see simply two ways that we can grow to be faithful partners in the gospel of Christ. So the first way is selfless care. Selfless care. So in verse 19, Paul tells the Philippians of his plans. Remember, Paul is in prison in Rome, but he's still working to spread the gospel. He talked about this back in chapter 1. And the Philippian church had sent him money by a man named Epaphroditus. We'll look at him in a minute. But they had expected Paul to send Timothy back to them, but Paul wants Timothy to wait. He's expecting to be on trial soon. He hopes to even be released soon. So he wants Timothy to wait there with him. But notice how Paul describes Timothy in this passage. Notice that Timothy really genuinely cares. Look at verse 20. Paul says, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. There's no one in Paul's mind who can care for the Philippian church like Timothy. And he doesn't just care about their attendance. He doesn't care about their budget. He's not caring about their programs or their annual report. 
He cares about the people of this church, and he cares about their welfare. He cares about their spiritual growth and and their unity in the gospel. He cares about their love for Jesus and for one another. So Timothy really cares about this church. And notice that it is a selfless care. Listen to verse 21. He says, For they all seek their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know Timothy's proven worth. Paul thinks about people in general and he thinks, man, I can't think of anybody who's like Timothy, who selflessly cares for others. Remember back in verse 4 of chapter 2, Paul said that we are to look not only to our own interests, but to the interests of others. Paul is echoing that idea here when he talks about Timothy. You see, Timothy is not someone who asks, what's in this for me? He doesn't make everything always about him. He's not a guy who's my way or the highway. He's not that kind of a guy. Timothy faithfully is an example of gospel partnership because he cares selflessly for others. You know, it's it's pretty natural for us to be selfish, isn't it? I mean, parents, you don't have to sit your kids down and teach them to be selfish, do you? I mean, you didn't have to have a little meeting with Billy and say, Billy, when when Timmy takes your toy, here's what you need to do. You need to get up and chase after him and scream, mine. That's what you need to do. We don't have to teach people to be selfish. There's selfishness so much in this world. I mean, just scroll through social media for a little bit. Turn on the news. Try to find a parking lot at Kroger on the bypass. There's a lot of selfishness in this world. But there's a lot of selfishness in here, too. I mean, I can be selfish. When I think the way that it should be done is the way that it should be done, I could be selfish. I could be selfish at the end of the day when I want my time. I've already given everybody else their time. This is my time. I mean, selfishness is the air that we breathe, but there's a cure for that. Christ came to cure the pandemic of selfishness in our heart. You see, through his life and his death and his resurrection, we've been forgiven of the countless ways that we are selfish. And in Christ, we can have a new heart where we really genuinely care for others. You see, the same Jesus who calls us to deny ourselves and take up a cross is the same Jesus who did it for us first. And it's through him that we can partner for the sake of the gospel. It's through Christ that we can selflessly care for one another. So what does that look like in our church? I mean, what would it look like if we had a whole bunch of Timothys sitting here today? Well, first, we would see selfless care for other people. Selfless care for other people. Just just think about your relationships in this church. If Paul were to put your name here in this letter, what would he say about you? Would he say that you genuinely are concerned for other people? Or would he say that you're like all the rest who seek their own interests? Or would he say that you're actually seeking the interests of Christ. There's a short verse in, in the John's third letter, in, in 3 John verse 9. He says this, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, 
who likes to put himself first does not acknowledge our authority. What a sad reputation. Your name is in the Bible for being someone who likes to put yourself first. I mean, it can be so easy to put ourselves first, right? I mean, I want to sing the songs that I like at church. I want the programs that serve me. I want the sermons the way that I like them. I mean, if you're here for a your way right away, that's, that's Burger King. <laughs> you need to go somewhere else. This is the church of Jesus. And it's the place where selfish ambition comes to die. It's the place where power dynamics are checked at the door. It's the place where giving is better than receiving. You see, in the church of Jesus, true greatness is wiping behinds in the nursery and giving rides for elderly folks to church. That's greatness in the kingdom of God. So just look at your relationships in this church. Are they all about you or are they about other people? Are you like Diotrephes who always puts yourself first? Or are you like Timothy? And you selflessly care for others. Let's be that kind of a church. Let's be a church that really cares for one another. But here's the second thing that we would see if we were like Timothy, a church full of Timothy. We would see selfless care for other churches. What if God is not just calling us to selflessly care for one another, but to do that as a whole church for other churches? What if Jesus wants Christ Fellowship to really care about other churches in our city? I mean, think about this. Paul says that there's no one who cares for the Philippian church like Timothy. I mean, Timothy would only have spent a few months with these people. It wasn't his home church. He was never the pastor of that church. Yet he deeply cared about them. So much that Paul says, I can't think of anybody who cares more about you all than Timothy. He was so willing also to go and serve them. So I wonder, do we care for other churches like that? Or are we just so focused on what God is doing in our church that we miss the fact that God is working all around us? I mean, what if there are churches around us that God wants us to partner together for the sake of the gospel? What if there are churches in our city and churches around the world that God wants us to pray for? That God wants us to actually send money to? That God may actually be calling some of us to go and serve in those churches? I mean, what if Jesus is calling us to care about those churches just the way that he cares about those churches? Jonathan Lehman says this in his book, One Assembly. He says, working with other churches means making sacrifices and losing control. For instance, you sacrifice members by sending them to help struggling churches one neighborhood over. Or you lose control by sending out a church plant instead of planting a campus. All of this takes faith that God works through other churches just as he works through yours. Friends, the kingdom of Jesus is bigger than Christ Fellowship Church. I mean, I want us to love our church. I want, us, I want us to serve our church. 
I want us to see the gospel grow this church. But let's remember that we are not the only church that Jesus loves. God's not just calling us to grow bigger and better and bigger and better. He wants us to care selflessly about other churches in our community too. And churches in other countries too. You see, gospel partnerships are not about asking the question, what's in this for Christ fellowship? It's about asking what's in this for the kingdom of Jesus. So let's be genuinely concerned for one another. Let's seek the interests of other people and other churches. Let's find joy in gospel partnerships as we selflessly care for others. That's the first way. Number two, sacrificial service. This is how we partner for the gospel, sacrificial service. So Paul spends the rest of the passage talking about Epaphroditus. Some of you that are looking for a little boy's name, there you go, Epaphroditus. In verse 25, Paul honors this man with these descriptions. My brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier. Your messenger, the church's messenger, and minister to my need. Later in chapter 4, we're going to see that the Philippian church sent money to Paul while he was in prison. And Epaphroditus is the one who brought Paul the gift. And since Paul decided for Timothy to stay there in Rome, he's sending Epaphroditus back to Philippi. You might say, why? Well, something happened to this man on his way to, to visit Paul. Paul tells us here in verse 27 that Epaphroditus got sick on the journey. And he was so sick that he almost died. Now, I've been pretty sick before. And there have been times where I felt like I was dying. I mean, I'm talking about the Christ Fellowship stomach bug outbreak in 2014. If you know, you know, right? I felt like I was dying. But this man, Epaphroditus, he, he really did almost die. But he got better, and, and Paul says that was a mercy on him that he didn't die. In fact, Paul says it was a mercy to me, too, because if he had died, I would have had sorrow upon sorrow. But Epaphroditus is well, and so Paul is sending him back to his home church so that they might see him again and so that they might rejoice with him. Now, you might be thinking... Great, I went to church to hear a story about a guy who got sick and didn't die. Big deal. Thanks for wasting our time, Paul. But I want you to see why this is very important. Listen to verse 30 again. Paul says, For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Paul's point is not, hey, a guy got sick and he didn't die. His point is that this man was willing to risk his life to serve Jesus. Epaphroditus was willing to sacrificially serve Jesus. He was willing to make this sacrifice in order to serve Christ. And if that sounds to you like something radical to do, that's what you signed up for when you gave your life to Christ. Didn't Jesus tell us in Luke 9, 23... That if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. 
The call to follow Christ is a call to come and die. It's a call to sacrifice, to sacrificial service. Now, this doesn't mean we should be foolish with our lives, but it does mean that as a follower of Jesus, your default attitude is self-denying, sacrificial service. And not just on Sundays, not just when we plan a fall festival, but that's your life. If there's no self-denying, sacrificial service in your life, then maybe you're not following Jesus. But remember, Jesus is not calling us to do something he hasn't already done. Jesus can tell us to deny ourselves and take up our cross because he's already done it. And he did it for us. What Jesus has done for us always comes before what we do for him. Jesus took up a cross so that we might be set free from sin and selfishness and so that we might do for others what he's done for us. You see, because of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, we can serve him. Because Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice, we make our sacrifices for him. So what does that look like? What does a sacrificial life actually look like? Well, God certainly has different callings on our lives. But here are some of the ways that God may be calling you and your family to sacrifice for his kingdom. First, sacrifice your comforts. I mean, if there's any idol that shines the brightest in our culture, it's probably that of comfort. We want comfy homes. We want comfy jobs. We want comfy families, comfy churches, comfy shoes, comfy pants. We, we want to be comfy, right? Maybe God is calling you to, to open up your home, to invite your unbelieving neighbors in, to welcome a family in need, to open your home to a foster child. I mean, God didn't give us our comfy homes so they could be places where we shut the rest of the world out. He gave us homes so that we could use them for his work in the world. And so there may be lots of comforts that we think that we need, but maybe God is calling us to sacrifice some of those comforts for his kingdom. Number two, sacrifice your money. Money is a good gift from God, but it has a power to control us and to have our hearts. And so that's why Jesus is not shy about calling people to sacrifice their money. I mean, really, your money is the Lord's money. And he may be calling you to sacrificial giving. You see, Jesus wasn't impressed with rich people just giving a lot of money out of their excess. He was impressed by a poor widow who gave her very last penny. Now, it's not wrong to have money. It's not wrong to save money or to have nice things, but it's wrong to hoard our money and to think it's only for ourselves. Maybe God is calling you to give more to the church or to give more to a family in need or to give more to missions work around the world. God may be calling you to be more sacrificial with your money. A third way would be to sacrifice your plans. There's nothing wrong with plans. 
In fact, if you're going to be successful in life, you're going to need some good plans. But when we hold on to our plans with tight fists, they become idols to us. And the work of Christ gets pushed to the side. So maybe God is calling some of us to sacrifice our plans. Maybe God wants some of you college students to spend two years on the mission field when you graduate rather than moving ahead with your career. Maybe God wants some of you to move into a home, into this neighborhood, to be the light of Christ here. Maybe God wants some of you to pursue adoption. Or maybe God is calling you and your family to go and be witnesses on the mission field so that the nations might know Jesus. I mean, if Christ really is the Lord of our lives, we should just hold our plans with open hands. Say, Lord Jesus, wherever you go, I'm... I'm going to go. Wherever you call me, I'm going to go. Whoever you put in front of me, Jesus, I'm going to love and serve them. However you want me to serve, Jesus, I'm going to do it with joy. Sacrificing for Jesus does not save us, but it's a way to honor him for the salvation he has freely given to us. I mean, if he really did pay it all, then we really do owe everything to him. God may be calling us in different ways. We don't all have to do everything, but we all do have to do something. We're all called to deny ourselves and take up a cross daily for Jesus. You know, I was able to watch a movie this week with some some brothers in the church. Uh, It was a missions movie called The End of the Earth. Uh, It's a film about missionary pilots who take the gospel and supplies to the jungles of Indonesia. It's the Missions Aviation Fellowship, and they send pilots to some of the hardest places to reach in the world. Some of these places are very dangerous for these pilots to fly into. And there's a pilot in the movie named Joyce Lynn. She was a very smart young woman. She was a computer scientist and engineer. She had a career in IT with the Air Force, but God called her to mission work. And after nearly 10 years of training, she was finally commissioned as a pilot in Indonesia. And so as one of the many missionaries who do this dangerous work, these places they go are almost impossible to get to. They bring them supplies, they bring medicine, they bring the gospel of Jesus. And here's what Joyce said about her work. She said, it doesn't scare me to fly. If I die doing this, then I die doing what God has called me to do. And I have no regrets about that. And on May 12th of 2020, she was flying into a village to take COVID supplies to them when her plane went down and she died. She died to take the gospel to these people. So was the the risk worth it? I mean, some might say, what a waste of a life. She was so bright and so smart. She could have done so many good things in the world. Was the risk worth it? She said it was. She made the ultimate sacrifice to serve the kingdom of Christ. She died so that the people of Indonesia might know the gospel and the love of Jesus. And it was worth it. 
Brothers and sisters, God may not be calling us to make the ultimate sacrifice like that, but he's calling us to sacrifice in some way. So let's be the kind of church that is willing to serve Jesus even when it costs us something. Let's be the kind of church that's willing to serve by laying down our comforts, laying down our money, laying down our plans, maybe even laying down our lives if that's what God wants. Let's be the kind of people who find joy in sacrificial service for Christ. Now, maybe you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, and that just sounds crazy to you. That some woman would be willing to fly a plane somewhere where she might die just to take some supplies in the message of Jesus. But you see, if you could understand just how amazing the work of Christ is and what he has done to save a sinner like you, then you could realize why that was so beautiful for her to do that. You see, the Bible tells us that we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. There's nothing that you can do to earn God's love and salvation. But God sent his son to live and to die and to rise again so that you could be saved and you can be forgiven. And if you're here today and you've never accepted the free gift of salvation in Jesus, you can do that today. You can do that right now. You can repent of your sin and believe in Jesus. And the Bible is clear. Jesus is clear. He will save you. He made the ultimate sacrifice so that you can be saved. And so that you can have a new life. And so that you can join the rest of us in sacrificing every day for Jesus. So don't leave here today without knowing the joy of salvation in Christ. And if you are a Christian today, let me encourage you to find joy in sacrificial service as we partner together for the gospel. You know, when we come to these things in God's word, I I think there's a temptation in our hearts to kind of push back a little bit. There's a temptation to be glad for people like Timothy and Epaphroditus. And I'm so glad that there's people who selflessly care I'm so glad there's people who sacrificially serve. And the temptation is to say in our hearts, and I'm glad I don't have to do it. I mean, there's others in the church who can care better than me. There's others in the church who can sacrifice more than me. You know, it may seem like a lot at times. Jesus really seems like he's expecting a lot out of us. And at times that can just seem overwhelming. But there's something going on in this passage. I said earlier that Paul was referencing the verses earlier in the chapter. But he's not only connecting these two men with the commands that he gave earlier in the chapter. He's connecting these two servants with the servant. He is echoing the language that he put in this beautiful poem in the middle of this chapter about Jesus. In verses 5 through 11. You see, he says that Timothy has served with him in the gospel. That's the same word Paul uses in verse 7 when he said Jesus took the form of a servant. He says that Epaphroditus was at the point of death. 
It's the same phrase he uses in verse 8 when he says Jesus was obedient to the point of death. You might say, big deal. He's using the same words. I think Paul is showing something wonderful here. You see, as followers of Jesus, we have the opportunity to be like Jesus. You see, we don't have to do things for Jesus. We get to do things for Jesus. When we grasp the depths of what Christ did for us, that's when our have-tos turn into get-tos. And that's when our pushback in our hearts turns into joyful obedience. We get to selflessly care for others. We get to sacrificially serve Jesus. We get to strive side by side for the sake of the gospel. We get to partner with others for the sake of Jesus. You see, when we see his love, when we see his grace, when we see his mercy, when we see his kindness, when we see that he emptied himself, when we see that he became a servant, when we see how he was born like us, when we see how he humbled himself, when we see how he went to a cross, when we see how he bled and died, when we see how he rose again, when we see how he ascended to heaven, when we see how he received the name that is above every name, when we see Jesus, I mean, we really see Jesus, when we see that his work was finished to save sinners like us, that's when we can find joy in being like him. That's when we can find joy in selflessly caring like him. That's when we can find joy in sacrificially serving like him. So brothers and sisters, let's find our joy in partnering together for the sake of the gospel and for the glory of Jesus. He paid it all. And so that means all to him we owe. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word today. God, we're, we're thankful for Timothy and Epaphroditus and the example that these men have set for us. And, but we feel that pushback in our hearts at times. Maybe there is someone who can care better or who can sacrifice better. But God, I'm thankful that this passage even reminds us of a Savior who selflessly cared for us, who sacrificially served us first. And so God, we've come here to see Jesus, to see the finished work of salvation, a life lived, a death died, or a resurrection accomplished for us so that we might have the hope of eternal life. So we praise the Lord Jesus today. And as we behold him, as we sang earlier, God, may we become like him in the ways that he loved, the ways that he served. God, I pray for those here today who may not know him, have never received salvation. May today be the day of salvation. Today be the day that they repent and believe and receive the grace of Jesus Christ. And for those of us who are in Christ, God, 
Let us remember that there is no guilt. There is no shame. Sometimes we may feel guilty for the ways that we've been selfish or guilty for the ways that we've not served God, that that is all gone and paid for by the cross of Jesus. So since it's been paid for, God, help us to give everything because we owe everything to Jesus. Help us to find ways that we can care selflessly for others, even other churches around us. Help us to find ways that we can sacrifice. Again, we don't all have to do it all, but we all have to do something. So God, help us to find that something that we can do to take up our cross daily and to serve you. And so we thank you so much for Christ. May we behold him and become like him as we partner together for the sake of his gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.